The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. I just absolutely detest fish, but I can tell that that's just my taste, right? That we have different tastes, and if everybody had the same taste, the world would be a much drabber place. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast, this fully armed and operational podcast. And I am Craig Hanks, your thoroughly average host. And over there, he's so boring, if he were a typeface, he'd undoubtedly be Times New Roman. It's Ryan Bruckman. I prefer Helvetica. I am perfect in all ways. Also boring. <laughs> Hate to break it to you. Yes. Uh, and no one will ever accuse you of a god complex while you're sitting next to a guy who wrote himself an entire universe. Literally, it's Brandon Sanderson. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show, Brandon. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I, f I feel like you finally arrived. Mm -hmm. You're now a guest on yep. the Legendarium. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the day when I would get the call. Bated breath. Yes, yes. Absolutely. The well, true mark that an author has made it. Today, today we are discussing The Truth uh, by Terry Pratchett. This is Discworld number 25. Now, I do want to note, if you have not read this book, you should listen to the episode anyway. I personally, having read the book, I would say, yes, we are going to spoil everything, but it's not the kind of book that I would worry too much about that in. It's, uh, I, were I sitting with somebody else, I would make some reference to Journey Before Destination and all that stuff, and, but maybe later. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, you should listen in. By the end of this episode, if you haven't read the book, you will want to, I think. We're going to have a lot of uh, nice things to say about it. But before we get there, a few items of housekeeping, housekeeping just like normal. Patreon.com slash Legendarium is where you can go and support the show. Thank you so much to those who do. Uh, also, you can listen to this episode on our site, thelegendariumpodcast.com, but it's better for us and easier for you if you subscribe. So please subscribe, leave a review. Uh, those reviews really do help on iTunes. So thanks again to those who do that as well. Um, anyway, we'll do the other housekeeping stuff later. Um, also coming up later in the show, I am going to announce a giveaway. We've got a lot of great stuff. So heads up for that. Keep listening for that. Anyway, let's talk Discworld. Let's talk Terry Pratchett. So let's back up first and talk about the man and the series first. Uh, but Brandon, you were saying that, uh, that you came to this book via an interesting Yeah, path. you know, it's interesting, but it's also very common. Okay. I found this happens with a lot of Pratchett fans, which is... People try his first book, because if you're going to start reading an author, you start at the beginning, correct? Well, incorrect. That is actually not the way to start Discworld, because Terry had a an interesting journey, and he's one of the few writers I've read that just got better and better and better and better the more he wrote. And so what happens is people pick up The Color of Magic, which is the first in the Discworld, and Discworld is some 30 or 40 books, and so you think, well, I'll just start here. But the problem is, when he began, he wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do with Discworld. It started off very much like, um, very similar to some classic 80s comedic fantasy, where it was more like a parody of a fantasy novel. And then as his writing matured, he started to move into social satire using a fantasy world as the mechanism by which he achieved that. And around the year 2000, late 90s, early 2000s, he really hit it, got right on what, he, what was going to become the, his style. And the truth is right in the middle of that. 
And suddenly he just blossomed into this incredible writer, which he'd always been good, but he hadn't been mind-blowingly brilliant until around then. And so if you read his first book, your experience might be like mine was, which I read his first book in the 90s. And I'm like, oh, you know, this was this was OK. This is like a Bob Aspirin book or something like this. It's um, it was fun, uh, but it was it was very kind of forgettable. It had some really cool ideas, but, you know, definitely a good book. But it didn't make me run out and want to read more. Uh, in 2000, I was still editor of the science fiction magazine at BYU. Uh, I did that too. We share. We now have something in common. Oh yeah? I declare victory. Mm. And so I was editor, and we got free books in. I don't know if you guys ever had that, but we got we got free books sent to us just uh, for re for review. And uh, this one came in, and I'd read a Pratchett book before, so I'm like, oh, I'll I'll give this one a try. Uh, it's been a while, and so I just jumped into it, and I found one of the most brilliant pieces of fiction I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I honestly I don't think there's anybody out there who's as good as Pratchett at his height. And uh, it blew my mind and I'm like, wow, why haven't I been reading him all along? And I went online and found out, lo and behold, you know, a lot of people think his first two books really were took a little while to hit their stride, uh, really started getting good when the Guards novels came along and then just became brilliant um, as his style matured. And so the truth is a perfect one to read for your first Pratchett because it's right during the era where he's getting really good uh, but it's also a standalone, right? It's new characters introducing, and there's only one book about these characters. Uh, and the thing to know about the Discworld is the Discworld is 40 books or whatever, but it's many different sequences of books. And so they, they take place in different cities, and there's, I mean, most of them are in most of them Port, in right? Workport. Yeah, but there's occasional ones in different cities. I mean, okay. so there's there's main lines. There's this line uh, about a guy named Rincewind, which is what the the Color of Magic and the Light Fantastic, the first two, are about. And I've since gone back and really appreciated those now. But Rincewind is this wizard who's uh, who's not a very good wizard and not good at basically anything and is uh, tr get, can constantly getting into shenanigans accidentally against his own better wishes. Um, and then you have the Guards books, which are generally considered the strongest of the series, which start with a book called Guards Guards, where the City Watch is taken over by this guy named Vimes, uh, who, who makes an appearance does. in this. Yep. yep. And uh, they are a bunch of bumbling Keystone cops, but have a good leader and some good members and slowly turn into real city watch in the city that has never actually had a real city watch. And it's about their exploits as they actually kind of try to become real policemen and and things like this. And uh, Vimes is generally considered the best character in all of the books. Um, and then you have the witches. Uh, which later transitioned into the YA books, which are the Tiffany Aching novels. But these are stories about about the witches. They have their own thing. And then Death has his own line, which is mostly about his granddaughter. But We did Death, do yeah. Hogfather last yeah. month, which the blue team mm -hmm. had a ton of fun with. I didn't read along with them, but uh, now I intend to. Yeah, Hogfather is one of the best. But those are all good. And then we have finally the Industrial Revolution books, which are generally standalones mm -hmm. um, with occasional crossing characters. And this is one of those yeah it's uh and it was like you said this is a good place to jump in i haven't read the other ones and so i don't have other Discworld books to uh, compare it to but i felt for for my first Discworld book like uh yeah there are probably a few references to other characters or events but i didn't have any trouble keeping up ryan how was it for you for your first time i'm actually really glad that you explained that for because when we you said we were doing this this episode I'm like, well, I've never read a Discworld before. I should probably become familiar. Maybe I have time to sneak in 
uh, magic for um, the color of magic, color of magic, the first book. So I went and bought that, and I read the first little bit of that, and I'm like, oh, I just don't have time. I'm gonna have to read, and so I jumped back and read the truth, and then went back and went. Kind of glad I did that. Yeah. My only other experience with Pratchett was uh, when he wrote uh, Good Omens, Good Omens yeah. with Neil Gaiman, and so I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the truth. Um, it's been one of my favorite reads we've done so far, and I think that being able to know that now that this is where he's catching a stride. It makes me more excited to read going forward. Right. You know, it's kind of weird because for a lot of authors, uh, myself included, the early books are the weakest, right? Mm -hmm. But they're still kind of part of what the author is doing. Right. And it's still usually a good place yeah, to start. And um, with Pratchett, because those first two books are so kind of different in tone until he hits the satire thing, um, it really is better to jump in later on and then go back. But... You know, there are some purists out there like, no, you must start with Color of Magic. And so I will respectfully disagree. But... Well, as someone what who is... started the Shannara series at Talismans yeah. of Shannara. <laughs> Number four in, oh, this, wow. in the second uh, series. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I just really liked the cover. And so I started there and then didn't realize what my mistake until <laughs> I, much later. I ruined that book. Um, really? Yes. I, uh, I lit, when I grew up, I grew up in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, which is very humid in the summers. And I like big cups of ice water. It's one of my uh, things. And I left the big cup of ice water on the end table on a really humid day next to um to that book and it just got soaked i could still read it but it mm -hmm. you know ballooned twice the size and... <laughs> so you literally i thought you meant i thought you meant in some other way than physically no physically i actually ruined, ruined a copy of that book pro tip um here's one of our classic tangents pro tip if you're a terry brooks fan go mm -hmm. to used bookstores in the northwest uh, seattle go to the the islands you know in the puget sound any used bookstore there's a good chance you'll find some signed stuff from him. Uh, he is the nicest human being. Oh, he's great. Oh, I, man. I met him at uh, Comic-Con a, a couple of years ago. He's fantastic. Um, anyway, so let's let's dig into the truth then, the actual story at hand. I've, I've got our three paragraph synopsis. Let's see how quickly I can refresh people's memories. If it's been a little while since... Uh, oh, sorry. If it's been a little while since you've read this, then this uh, may be helpful to you. Uh, again, spoilers, yes, I'm going to spoil everything, but don't worry, the book is still amazing, even if you know everything that happens in it, and you should read it anyway. So, let's go. William DeWard is a is a is just a humble scribe in Ankhmore Pork, and he supplements his meager income with a gossipy newsletter that he distributes to a few of the city's upper crusters. But when a group of dwarves invents movable type, William's little newsletter accidentally becomes the first newspaper, and William accidentally invents investigative journalism. And none too soon, because a conspiracy is afoot to depose the city's patrician by framing him for embezzlement and murder. But for reasons that even he doesn't quite comprehend, William is on the case. He rounds up a crew, including a reporter, Sakharisa Kripslock, uh, whose name, by the way, is just fantastic fun to say, and Otto, a photographer who's also a vampire recovering from addiction, an addiction to both blood and heaving bosoms. Uh, he's my favorite character, if anybody was wanting to keep track. And together they unmask the conspiracy, unwittingly bring the real killers to justice, and establish the concept of the free press in Ankhmore Pork in all its ambivalent glory. So that's the bones of the story. Uh, and I loved it. As I was reading, I as I was coming toward the end of the book, I realized that this book was structured a lot like a really, really good stand-up routine. If you if you watch the great stand-ups, like go watch the the Dave Chappelle specials that he released a, a year or two ago on Netflix, and you'll notice that what they do is they they bring you in with the relentless jokes, 
and you're just rolling in the aisles. You can't stop laughing. You can't breathe. And once they've got you hooked, they you are now their audience, and then they're going to bring in what they have to say, the the commentary, and and that's kind of how I felt like this book was structured. I was gasping for air with a lot of the little word plays and stuff that he just stuffs into every single paragraph in about the first half of the book, and those things are still there. And the social commentary, I mean, the social commentary is still there in the first half of the book, but uh, but it really comes to the fore, I think, in the second half. If that makes sense. Once Definitely. the newspaper's more running, more active. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, I uh, thought that just the structure of it was really, really fantastic. The one thing that kind of threw me off that I wasn't prepared for because nobody had told me about it, no chapters. Yeah. This, this being my first Pratchett book, I understand that's kind of how he operated. No chapters. Uh, Ryan, what did you think of that? Honestly, I... Did you even notice until... I don't think I noticed because I was just kind of cruising through it, just reading through it and just enjoying it so much I wasn't paying attention to the fact that I was missing breakpoints for me to breathe because I was just enjoying what was going on. There's still enough story breaks to feel like you can uh, take... You can stop. You can breathe for a second. Just find a paragraph break and call it good. He tends to do the... And this is is classic Pratchett. The Tiffany Aching books do it differently, but most Pratchett is you will have this sort of breakneck speed where he is constantly shifting viewpoints to keep you engaged mm-hmm. and to have a slightly different tone and uh, and slightly different humor style. So as soon as you kind of get worn out on one, or not even worn out, you're just, you know, you've had a few jokes and you've had a progress of one character, you're gonna jump to another. And there are no chapter breaks. So they generally all take place across the course of just a couple days, um, if that much. And they read like uh, thrillers, like murder mystery thriller type books uh, with humor. Uh, which is very interesting. Part of what draws me to Pratchett is a lot of the great humorists, if you look at Douglas Adams or people like Dave Barry and things like this, the the joke is the point, and <laughs> this narrative is just there to give you interesting things to make jokes about. And of course, Douglas Adams is a, was a genius, right? Absolutely. And that it was really, really fun. But part of what uh, I feel Hitchhikers was missing is a narrative that makes you actually want to read the next chapter. My experience with a lot of humorists is I love it while I'm in the moment, but when I put it down, you're it's not hard about it yeah, anymore. to yeah, pick yeah. it back up because you, what happens next is not that interesting to you. You know you're going to pick it up and laugh, um, but with Pratchett, he manages to marry that to what what's going to happen next. You legitimately care about what's going on with these villains and if they're going to get our uh, our hapless hero and uh, and what's going to happen with the the further expansion of the press accidentally turning into a newspaper and you know what is this this mystery. Um, this one is a little different in that it plays out uh, more like a, a Columbo style mystery where you basically know what's going on from the start. Um, if the, the pieces are very easy to put together. So it's about finding out how the heroes figure that out less than about the, the, the real whodunit, because I think the real whodunit of this is, is pretty obvious early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I wanted to run to run through the characters a little bit. Um, I mentioned Otto, who's my absolute favorite. I, I couldn't believe how that, funny he was. The concept of a vampire who basically dies every time he takes a picture but loves photography. <laughs> I, I, I still laugh every time I just read just his little the little garbles at the end when he would take a picture and you just know that he just crumbled into dust. Like Yeah, yeah and genius. intersecting him with, uh, with Alcoholics Anonymous type yeah. stuff. And, <laughs> yes, yes, and even the temperance movement sort of, uh, sort of jokes, you get all three of those mashed mm-hmm. into one. Um, I did the audiobook this time around and I 
heartily recommend it. Oh, really? Because the the narrator's voices, both uh, for for Otto's his Otto voice is fantastic. His good mountain voice made me roll yeah. every time he he did it. And so I, I highly recommend this. It's a it's a really good audio book with a lot of interesting accents and a lot of personality behind them. But yeah, Otto is great. So my my favorite line from Otto, I, I, I butcher this compared to the uh, narrator, no doubt. But he says, uh, uh, Sakharisa faints. Um, and as she wakes up, she sees uh, Otto kind of hyperventilating. He says, keep away from me and do not breathe like that. Like what? The bosom's going in and out and up and down like that. I am a vampire, a fainting young lady. Please understand the panting, the heaving of the bosoms. It caused something terrible from within. <laughs> Just, That's so not I'm, bad. You did a good job. Thank you. I was So I'm on a plane. My wife and I were flying to Seattle uh, last month, and I'm reading this, and I'm turning red and I'm shaking in my seat and she says, what's wrong? And and I passed her the book and she read it and she chuckled a little bit and she says, I, I, I don't see it. And I, whatever, whatever, different strokes. I couldn't stop laughing. Um, Good Mountain is also, it, Good Mountain, he's the straight man yep. to every situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Sakharissa, how do we, how do we characterize Sakharissa? She's the, the go get him reporter. Go get him reporter. But um, the fun thing about her is she doesn't realize that's what she is, right? Mm-hmm. She thinks she is a, a a woman of good upbringing and a, a very, you know, she thinks she's very reserved. She's high society. And, yes, and 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 yet you're intersecting that with the go get him reporter, and so she keeps talking like she's not that, but she keeps acting a different way entirely, and it's a, it's a nice contrast. Her character has a lot of growth to it because by the end, you know, she's she's fully in this mode and she's ordering William around and being like, I'm going to get the story. And, you know, you're the editor. You go do editorial stuff. I'm I interview the people and it's uh, it, it comes together very nicely. Everyone has a nice arc in this book, which is another thing I like. Um, even the villains, even the villains were great. The villain. These are especially at the end. These so. are my favorite Pratchett villains in any book. Uh, yeah. Tia Taime is uh, is good but this is these are my favorite pin and tulip are just uh maybe it's because it's the first one i read but i can't get enough of these two so in, i wish in mr pin and oh sorry go ahead. sorry i just wish i i wish i could remember their names off the top of my head but when i read them the first thing that kicked pin, back to me pin and tulip no oh sorry sorry there are two characters <laughs> in good omens oh, or no okay. neverwhere in gaiman's neverwhere that i was like i wonder if working with pratchett like because he took another like they were very similar, very similar to, to these. these two characters in the neverwhere who are Kind of like this short, pudgy, you know, muscle man, and then this smart, thin character who is the cleverness and everything. And when I read, that's, these... that's pretty stock, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not. Uh... And this, he's playing off of that with this um, in interesting ways. But yeah, yeah. the, I can still remember reading the truth the first time when it clicked what Mister Tulip was doing when he was saying "ing." Oh yeah, yeah. Um, for, for <laughs> How do they do that in the audio book? Do he, he does a really he good just job. Goes, Ing. Yes, and it's it's got the, the kind of glottal stop right yeah, before yeah. it, and so um, for those who haven't read the book or if you're not familiar, uh, Victorian era novels would sometimes self-edit or be edited by the editor, where they would take any curses and just put dash ing into them so that people would not experience the curses. Um, and this was really common. I mean, this is the era where they uh, they rewrote Shakespeare to have happy endings, right? right? And played Romeo and Juliet where they both wake up at the end. Um, and so the novels would have dash-ing instead of curses. So Mr. Tulip in this has read those books or has interacted with people who have read those books not knowing 
that that is not actually the not curse. actually the curse <laughs> and has picked that up as the curse. And then Sacharissa picks it up later in the book. And so they're all saying ing, thinking that's the curse word. And when that clicked to me that like he didn't explain it, he doesn't tell you, no. oh, yes, this is based on he doesn't have to. When it clicks, you're like, this is genius. And it works on lots of levels. Even if you didn't know anything about the history of it, you just can be like, oh, you know, he thinks that's a swear word. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, but, oh, man, that that was when I my eyes opened to the textual humor that Pratchett puts in books. Um, and that's, I think, when I fell in love, when I, I figured that out. I wondered if it was uh, if it was self-editing. Yeah, I thought it part. was, too. And then when, mm -hmm. at some point, one of the characters calls it out. Yeah. Why does he keep saying, ing? Mm-hmm. And... And so once I got it, yeah. It's yeah. Like and that's say, the I moment when you get it. Great. Up until then, you think, oh, he's just doing the Victorian thing. That's yeah, yeah. kind of weird. Um, well, the last character that I think we need need to talk about, we could talk about a, several others, but uh, William. So we've got William, our main character. He is... Uh, Who's named very on point. Yes. <laughs> DeWord. <laughs> DeWord. <laughs> there, there was a real family called DeWord, um, as I understand. I was reading about this, that that Pratchett lifted that name from that actually was involved in printing or oh, books really? or something. Yeah. Yes. And I wondered about stuff like that. I'll come mm -hmm. back to William in just a second. But uh, but with a book like this, you know, especially th this is a British man. He wrote it in the 90s, right? It's published in the, 2000, or in the year 2000. Um, and I knew that there were things that he was ripping from the headlines of the last few years, probably when he wrote it. And, uh, and I just kind of had to go, you know what, I'm not going to get everything, that's fine. But there was so much that was there for me to get that I didn't mind at all. And yeah. So I, I'm sure somebody could, you know, hand me a paper with all the references to the, you know, the headlines of the day. And, and then it would be, oh, wow, that's what he was commenting on. Great. But you know, you he, don't have to know. All yeah, this. he doesn't depend on those. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, I, I really like like MST3K and things like that. But often I feel like there'll be riffs in some of these uh, humor lines where if you don't get the initial joke of whatever actor they're making fun of, you're just lost for the next five minutes or something. Mm -hmm. And Pratchett does it in a way that um, the main story is ignoring all of these little textual jokes and references to Watergate. There's a lot of them mm -hmm. in this. Mm -hmm. That if you don't get them, it deep doesn't bone. matter. Yeah, deep bone and like they needed uh, they needed a, a multi-level stable, right? Instead of a parking <laughs> right. garage, right? Um, like when you you read that and you're like, wait, multi-level stable? Oh, it's a parking garage. It's a, yeah, yeah. it's Watergate. Um, you you laugh, but because those things are almost they're almost cameo level. They're behind. Uh, and hidden beneath the, you're you're still They're laughing at all the humor. Find, yeah, they, for you know it, those who have eyes to see, let them see. Yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, well, let's talk about William a little bit. Um, William, compared to all the other characters around him, except maybe the uh, Good Mountain, he's boring. He's normal. He's he's nothing special. But I think that's what makes him work, um, especially compared to all the other others. Not only is he a good foil for the humor from some of the other characters, uh, but it kind of Maybe you know, we can get into some of the commentary later, but I, I feel like by making William normal, it right. makes the commentary on media uh, just a little more illuminating and maybe a little biting as well. He's it, like your classic editor, right? He's the one who wants to write about the all the interesting things, but is not doing but it that's himself. Not what, that's not what. That's not what. That's not what sells papers. It, Everybody it even, wants to know the the funny looking vegetables yeah. that uh, that would make Victorian ladies faint. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he, he even has that editor's mind down to, uh, there's a moment on page 24. So it's 
uh, up top in the book. He says, that's three indeeds, thought William, who noticed things like this. Three indeeds used by a person in one brief speech generally meant an internal spring was about to break. Uh, you know, things like that. He notices those little things, but uh, but outwardly he doesn't, he's not an excitable fellow. Right. He does have an arc, though, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, he is a bit of a milk toast at the start. He's this rather boring person living a rather boring life, but you realize he has chosen that life because he wanted to leave in opposition, in to, opposition his to his father and yeah. his family line. His family line's a big deal in this. They're always the, the people he talks about who are like at the forefront of any battle, uh, chopping off heads and taking over and seizing land. Um, and in opposition to that, he wanted to do something more boring with his life. And it, you get the sense that he did that because it's the only way he could find to do something that was not evil, was to at least, you know, not necessarily be good, but just be neutral was a big step forward for someone in his family. Um, but his arc is kind of coming to say, hey, I am part of this family and I can stand up to my father and I can stand up to these people and I can do it for a good cause, a just cause. Um, though there is some discussion in the books whether the news is a just cause or, or whatnot. <laughs> but the idea being, you know, he kind of finds his own place. Um, he, he can be an editor without being shoved around. And I, I like that arc for him. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, Ryan, did you have a favorite character? Do you want to talk about William? Do you, no, it's what do you want to do a lot of what you've talked about with William Hart is the things that I enjoyed the most about dealing with him were the moments when he has to step out of uh, that semi-boring char uh, characteristic, yeah. um, where he has to start being a little bit of the evil, like to, uh, grabbing the family bloodline a little bit to say, well, I'm just not going to say this and maybe see what they feed me. Like there, The moments when he, he says something uh, along the lines of it's, it's astounding how um, when you twist the truth just a little bit it's still the truth but it serves your end in the in the exact same way that a lie would it's yeah like i said i magic or whatever you want to call it he does that multiple times throughout as so we get a build up to it and then at the very end when he has to confront his father i i it, it pays off for me because he's able to to show that leadership characteristic show those things that he's developed uh, that he's that are kind of in his history and his past that he's been trying to suppress mm -hmm that they're still there and it's it's been a build up and not just an immediate turn to that. I really like in this book how n through most of the books in the disc world, Vimes is one of your viewpoint characters and or your protagonist. Uh, through a lot of the best um, books in the disc world, he's, he's interacting in that way. And to have a protagonist here in William, who is, uh, what does William say? He says, we are not on the same side we are just in, you know, parallel sides that happen to be pointed in the same direction or something right. like that, uh, spoken more cleverly than that. But uh, where he's got an adversarial and antagonistic relationship with Vimes, who is basically the protagonist of the Discworld. Um, if, if, there, if you had to oh, pick one, Vimes is the protagonist of the Discworld. Okay. And Vimes's normal MO is the whole um, city is corrupt, um, and there is one group who is slightly less corrupt, and that is the guards. And we are going to do our best to make sure that the people who are all trying to kill each other are not able to do it, and that you know that people are are protected against their better interests. That's interesting to hear mm -hmm. you say that. With you know having the whole series in mind, as I don't, because in this book I felt like there were so many send ups of the police. Yeah. Uh, that I wasn't sure how this guy felt about the police. So yep. man, he, he hates the coppers, I guess. Yep. Well, that's uh, that's you know putting the press in opposition to the police was a fun thing to read. Yeah. Um, by this point or soon after it, you know, um, Vimes has prevented multiple wars. 
and saved the lives of multiple very important people. Uh, he's, he's constantly pulling everyone out of the fire and stopping the city from burning down. And so to see him be on the opposite side a little bit, not exactly. It was, it's a lot, one of the fun things about this book is, you know, Vimes is this, this sort of, uh, force to be reckoned with. He will see the law done and he's going to do it his way. And he kind of is the law because everyone above him is corrupt and everyone underneath him is trying to get away with something. And so, um, to see that and to see there need to be checks on that, um, is a nice way for Pratchett to make a nod to the fact that his heroic figure in most of the books, who is not always playing by the strict letter of the law, needs somebody watching over his shoulder. And uh, it's it's a very nice counterpoint. Oh, duly noted. Uh, Ryan, any other character things before we move on to other things to talk about? No, I wouldn't really classify it as character. Um, I just thought it was really funny. Uh, the gnome or the, oh gosh, what is it? That records everything. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the, 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 the little goblin yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, one of his, when he reads off his uh, user agreement. <laughs> yeah. Like, I yes. lost it because you get to the very end of it, and he, it reads like, uh, uh, because you're so, you you are such an easily cowed moron who will happily accept arrogant and unilateral conditions on a piece of highly priced garbage that you would not dream of accepting on a bag of dog biscuits, and as you solely at your own risk, like. <laughs> I don't know why, but that little guy, like every time he came up, I'm like, oh, I, oh just, just keep talking. Just yeah. go again. Some of the most fun in the Discworld is all of this Industrial Revolution or post-Industrial uh, Revolution stuff. The disorganizers pop up here and there. Um, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a reference in this to, um, to music with rocks in it. Uh, that's a reference to a book called Soul Music, uh, which I believe is technically in the Death series about... Um, uh, a, basically Buddy Holly, but I think he's called Bud of the Hollies or something <laughs> like that, who uh, who invents music with that's got rocks in it, which is, you know, music that's uh, rock and roll, right? right? It's the coming of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one um, that takes place, I think, just after this one called Moving Pictures about the start of the film industry mm -hmm. in Discworld. And then my favorites um, of this line are the, the Moist Von Lipwick books, which are uh, start with Going Postal, where a con artist is put in charge of the post office um by veterinary because he wants the post office to 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 work again it's it's been not working and he catches this con artist and puts him in charge of it and it's it's delightful as well so <laughs> um well there's a lot of stuff that is applicable beyond the obvious uh, when i when i started reading the book i knew it had been published in 2000 and uh, and there are a few times when, you know, okay, the movable type is coming in with the dwarves and, and he's talking about all this. Oh, it's about the newspaper. But then there are a few moments where I'm going, well, hang on, this was published in 2000. Is he talking about the internet? Uh, where he might as well be. And I don't know, maybe he was in some cases, but uh, but there are a lot of those little, um, a lot of those little moments. And so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the applicability of this, this book. Um, this was, uh, in fact, as, as, uh, Reddit user Julian Prattley mentioned, um, he's, he's, I assume he, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know this book as well as many, but there's a heap of level two and three stuff in all of them. Uh, so we should talk about that. Well, we will. Uh, for those who need a refresher on the levels, the, the legendarium three level theory, I'll, I'll give you 30 seconds on it. Level one stories, that that's your surface level stuff. That is the story itself, the plot, the whatever, the characterizations, all that. Uh, level two is when a story goes into social or political commentary, 
level three would be if it's uh, philosophical commentary. Well, I, I was going to go personal. So it's like internal, like how, how am I going to be a better person, you know, versus like how do nations and, and uh, societies interact with each other? Uh, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, anyway. Uh, so yes, there, this book I love partly because uh, while it, it is effective on all three levels, uh, so rarely do you get something that kind of lives on level two, that social and political commentary, and does it effectively. Uh, one of my favorites, my, my, uh, my go-to example is South Park. I think South Park is a great level two thing, um, whatever you think of it. But so let's talk about some of this. Like when you're, Ryan, you mentioned the, uh, the little imp that records all the conversations and he has that end user agreement. And I was just imagining iTunes achieving consciousness and berating me for just <laughs> checking the box. Because that's what we all do, and none of us would ever do it if we ever actually read it. And, and admit, you get irritated when you buy something or sign up, and they make you scroll to the bottom yes. before you click accept. Oh, that irritates people. Like, why would you do this? <laughs> I'm not going. Why are you making me pretend Come to read on, this? Come on, lawyers. This it's not worth it. Um, anyway, so let's let's talk about uh, about whether or what we think this book is commenting on. And I and I don't want it. I absolutely do not want to get into any weeds as far as, um, you know, talking about t today's headlines or, or partisan politics or any of that crap. So let's stay away from that. But there's still lessons to be learned, I think, for us now. Right, because I don't think this is about partisan politics no, and things. No, 100% about, not, but you yeah, could easily you read could. your own stuff into this if and you wanted to. Why Pratchett works for me is because um, there are a lot of authors who want very desperately to work on level two and in doing so undermine their story to the point that um i don't enjoy reading it because i feel like i'm reading a philosophical screed <laughs> pointed <laughs> yeah. at me and why pratchett works is number one it evolves naturally out of the way the characters are working when you get commentary on you know kind of the point of the book comes at the end the morals when vetinari comes in and kind of says you know so you're saying that the people are different from the people, meaning he said he, he makes the point of, you know, the good of the people indicates the mass as a whole, which are not the same as the people you pass on the street. They're interested in funny vegetables that'll make you blush, where the people are interested in the workings of politics and what's going to make the empire better. In the same way, the Times, the, mag the newspaper, is not the people in it. They may want something, but the Times is something loftier and more of an ideal. And um, and kind of marrying that idea of it's kind of okay to think that funny vegetables are funny. Um, it's a little sad that they don't care about the workings of the government as much, <laughs> but the people do care in general. Whatever that whatever happens that, to mean. that happens to mean. And because of like he's able to get across a message like that that grew naturally, where it's like the characters are figuring it out, and it's a natural evolution of their growth arcs, so that it feels married to the story, but at the same time. Uh, Pratchett never feels like he's pointing a finger at you. He always feels like he's pointing a finger at himself, meaning uh, the people. He's he's pointing a picture at every uh, a finger at everyone, rather than saying, "Look at these silly people." You're you're a bunch of rubes, and yes, I've got it all figured exactly. out. Exactly. Right. Um, and you get to the end of the book, and you start to go into that level three by saying, "Wow, you know, uh, I think I've learned something about the way I interact with the news." and with uh with current events and um it just comes together in a way that never feels for a minute preachy which is so weird because it's mostly preachy 
It's mostly him going off on some tangent about some interesting thing. Um, but he keeps it brief. He keeps it uh, aligned with the characters. And he ma never makes you feel like he's making fun of you. He's set, sidling up to you, nudging you and say, hey, look at this thing that we do. Isn't that funny? And you're like, yeah, that is funny. Yeah, it's um, one of my favorite things. And, and then I'll kick it to you, Ryan. Uh, my favorite thing, lesson maybe, was the idea by by showing William, by putting everything through William's prism, his point of view, um, you see what a normal guy he is on this journey toward making the, the first, you know, investigative journalism, newspaper, whatever. Uh, it It's a, a harsh reminder that sometimes we look at the newspaper or the talking heads or whoever, and we think, oh, well, they're on the air. They got printed. Therefore, they know things. They're wise. They they have sources that I could that I could only dream of. In reality, these are all a bunch of people, and you know things wouldn't be better or worse necessarily if you were doing the exact same job as them. Uh, if that makes sense, we 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 have a tendency, I think, to elevate people who uh, who do get their their articles in the newspaper or whatever. I want to right. jump on that just a little bit and tweak it a little bit here because there's a uh, one of the quotes I, I pulled out here um, said the paper came out and it didn't matter. People just seemed to accept things. Yep. And it made me think of something and it's something that William kind of deals with through the story a little bit. Um, what is the value of truth if it doesn't change anything? Why? Oh boy, you, now we're getting <laughs> some utilitarian stuff that uh, don't get me started. I'm just saying like this, this to me was one of the big things, uh, themes throughout the whole book that I kept... What is the value of doing this if it doesn't make a difference? Um, and the, I think it affected William uh, the most when, because he keeps wanting to, to focus on these, this important thing that's happening with, uh, you know, with the leadership there, and everyone just wants the vegetables. And so I was kind of thinking, like, for me, like, how often do I take something that I know, like, this is a truth or this is something here, and it doesn't matter. I don't care. Like, it's not right. going to alter what I'm doing. Well, I think, you know, part of the point is we all like the fact that that's out there. And if you were to ask us and say, what what should journalists be doing? We would all say, we want them doing this, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and then, then what do we turn in, tune into? Yes, and then what do we turn into? Uh, uh, you know, cute cat gifts on the internet <laughs> or something like that. We're like, yes, I'm not gonna spend my time there, but I'm glad somebody's doing that. Mm -hmm. Is kind of part of what this is. Um, I love in the book also though, that there's a rival newspaper that's like the National Enquirer, right? Um, and there's the even, tabloid. there's plenty of digs against it, but there's also a moment where they've, they've, for those who are Discworld fans and haven't read this book, cut me on the throat, Dibbler, who is, uh, normally the sausage salesman ends up writing pieces <laughs> for the Inquirer. And it, it's a great metaphor because the guy who makes sausages out of things you don't want to know what goes into making sausage turns out to be making the stories. Um, but there's a scene where the editor of that newspaper after cut me on the throat has, uh, has moved on and is not doing it anymore, he's trying to write them and he can't because it takes a special kind of person to make those stories work. And there's almost a little bit of a nod to, hey, you you tabloid writers who are really good at your job, you do have something special. You probably shouldn't be proud of that, but you do have something <laughs> special in your ability to write stories that people will actually believe and enjoy. Oh, man. I, uh, I, had, a, I had a joke. I'm going to let it go. See that, Ryan? Self-control? I I, wow. Bottle that. Remember that. <laughs> I don't know if I, that again. Jokes. Why do you tee these up for me? And then, okay, we have serious things to talk about. Um, okay, I do have a question that I wanted to put to you, Brandon, because it reminded me so much. And uh, 
apologize. You're here to talk about other stuff, and and we are going to talk about that other stuff. But you wrote a great um, monologue for Wit at the end of a Stormlight book, all about uh, innovation. People love the things that are new, um, and uh, what do people value most? Novelty. Novelty. And there's a question throughout this book about whether people want news or whether people want olds. Yep. And I never felt like that question, like he ever came down on one side or the other by the end of the book. I, I mean, it's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, people want the vegetables, but they're, but they, oh yeah, yeah, go, go, go get the news. I mean, I just want to read the olds, but I'm glad somebody's doing the news as well. Um, is, is is there anything else to, to dig in with on that? Like, what is it about us that makes us, uh, is it just the comfort what is it that makes us reject or kind of look away from actual news? Well, he gives a voice to this, these people near the end of the book, Pratchett does, um, with the, the people who sit around the table every morning with William, and they don't know that William is actually writing right. you know, the Times, and they're reading the funny stories and what they pay attention to. And he is livid that they are not that interested in his piece that he wrote that exposed you know, the, the conspiracy against the partition. He brought down the new government and restored the falsely accused tyrant um patrician but um <laughs> to his place but that's truth part is of truth the, yeah but truth is truth and um a, a constant theme through the discord books is veterinary is a step towards something better um and so he's good for everyone right now even though he is a tyrant and a former assassin um former perhaps not uh not not a hundred percent accurate anymore uh, but does his name actually start with a P and rhyme with Cruton? Yeah, yeah, he's he yeah <laughs> he, like he's a, he's a, he's very much a Putin type, definitely. Um, but William is angry that the common people are not interested in that, and um, and he he gets livid, and they respond. The the the, the person there at the table is like, well, we don't have any influence over this sort of thing. We can grow a funny vegetable. And so we laugh at funny vegetables. We we laugh at the things that are our, our friends. And we, but but all of this stuff with the politics, we can't we can't do anything about it. And there's, so there's a sense there's a, sort of a little bit of a of a Pratchett saying, look, you know, you don't. We should take an interest in these things. Yes, I think that's what the text is saying. But it's understandable that we don't because we feel so powerless it to makes, do anything about it. It makes us feel more powerless yeah. than we would yes. otherwise, right? Yeah. And so it's it it's. Uh, healthy in a way to avoid it because you don't want to feel yeah. down on stuff. I on think stuff like that. in the hands of a lesser author, this topic would turn into, you should all feel guilty for not treating what I think is important as important. Mm -hmm. But the text of this story, while saying that at the same time, the tone of it is, yes, but that's not how human beings are. And so it's okay to engage human beings as human beings. It's okay that we are a certain way. Um, and by doing all this work, you may be able to nudge people a little bit, and that's worth it by itself, that little nudge, because that's what you can accomplish um, by, by, by staying true to the truth, right, and trying to print the truth right. and things like this. You do make the world a better place, uh, you know, when you're, when you're trying, to, trying to do what's right and find out the truth and print it, but you can't get too mad when people don't notice we got a few minutes. Ryan, what do you want to talk about? Let's uh, kick it over to you. Uh, bring up a bullet point. I'll grab another quote that I really like here. Dance monkey. 
This is after Mr. Tulip has died and meets with Death. I did not realize Death was a character that's a long recurring oh, thing. Oh, what a fantastic conversation this was. Yeah, so uh, he asks, he says to him, he says, is this the bit where my whole life passes in front of my eyes? No, that was the bit just now. Which bit? Uh, the bit between you being born and you dying. <laughs> First of all, great line. Uh, no, this Mr. Tulip, is, this is your whole life as it passed before other people's eyes. This is another moment that kind of made me like stop and like put the book down uh, and just think for a minute, okay, is there is there any commentary here at all about like the value of living life where you're at versus what do you mean it's like he says like when death says no the the whole like seeing your life as it passes by you like happens now we're all waiting like there's this tendency for us to wait for this grand moment where we can summarize our entire life or see everything that's there my wife talks about heaven school all the time where we all get to watch videos of each other doing stupid crap (laughs) we're really looking forward to that i am not (laughs) we didn't talk a ton about pin and tulip who are which we should fantastic characters um they are very interesting in that there's a bit again of an arc for both of them which you might not expect which is mm-hmm. mr tulip kind of coming densely slowly after he's died kind of coming to realize i i have to be sorry for it huh actually sorry and you don't just get away with being a potato yeah you know a potato yeah, and thinking about it and thinking you know um, with then him getting reincarnated as a woodworm um, <laughs> and eating eating the wood in the uh, in the desk in, in the desk in William's right? office is just a very perfect sort of you know he will be way happier as that woodworm than he ever was as Mister Tulip um, and then Mister Pen getting reincarnated as a potato um, who is then going to be turned into potato chips and fried. Um, is is in itself also this kind of beautiful poetry uh for how he's lived his life and he's like i'm escaping eternal damnation by having my potato oh look you're going to get fried (laughs) anyway um and just the the idea of mr pin and the 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 deaths that he's caused starting to chase him through this kind of probably the weirdest arc through the story is the idea that uh, Otto is experimenting with some weird dark magic um, with his photography, the, the dark eels, the or dark whatever eels, yeah, um, and dark matter and things like this, and whatever he does causes Mister Pin to start seeing the people he's killed chasing him or looming behind him um, and giving him a taste of you know hell on earth. Uh, is it's it's very. For the book, and you'll find a lot of Pratchett have some sort of thing like this. Pratchett's getting really more experimental um, and philosophical with it. And this is the one that I find the weirdest and the most interesting because of that, the dark eels and the the cracks of thunder when Otto finally speaks at the end <laughs> and um, the uh, Mr. Pin going further and further crazy as he realizes the things that he's done and the fact that he probably can't ever escape these things that he's done that they're going to chase him forever uh is dark and um he deserves it and yet at the same time there's this contrast that the powerful people who ordered him to do it all kind of get away right um which is also darker in some ways um because uh vimes wants to find him and put him in jail but uh william kind of knows that's not how society works. 
And so we'll cause them whatever discomfort we can by making Mr. Slant have to argue against his own best interests um, and by making, you know, his father have to uh, go exiled and things. But their comeuppance is not nearly as bad as they deserve. Well, Mr. Penn, uh, I found him really interesting. Tulip was the more enjoyable one to read and to read about. Uh, Mr. Penn, I realized he was kind of making me a little bit uncomfortable because mm -hmm. uh, it hits close to home for, I think, a lot of people, myself included. I love to think and I love to be logical and I love to outsmart a situation or whatever. And that is his character. And so it was easy to kind of see myself uh, trying to outsmart things. And then eventually it he takes it too far and he's trying to outsmart death mm -hmm. not you know not right. to stay alive per se but to say no 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 I, I really do deserve an eternal reward look at my potato i you know he steals it from mr tulip and so he thinks all right i've got my ticket i've outsmarted the situation uh and so he he was one where uh, his arc was another one of those little nudges that you're talking about it's a little elbow in the ribs and say like to say yes to be smart is good to be clever is good but if you are doing that at the expense of being a good person, not just doing good things, but being a good person and being really actually sorry for whatever wrongs you've done, there is no substitute for that. And cleverness certainly isn't one of them. And the, it's really interesting too, because for a character who is so clever, so smart, to grab onto such an absurd concept <laughs> as a potato right. for salvation, <laughs> which I love the Tulip's backstory as to how like, mm -hmm. he came to believe this religion yes. basically for him I, I think it's just it's a great commentary for him to be able to say that once you've gotten that far down the road you're going to grab onto whatever you can grab onto because you've you're 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 too far gone yeah yeah um <clears throat> all right so we've got maybe just a, a couple of minutes left let's move on to uh, final thoughts um well I, oh no 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 i'm sorry before we move on to final thoughts i do have to ask and maybe we can wrap this up in them is there any reason or any person, uh, any any reason you would not recommend that someone read this or some person to whom, like, is there anything about the book that that you would that you would say, nah, it's probably not right for this kind of person? So because I, I've, I've had a lot of people on Reddit, and I mm -hmm. could pull their names up, but I won't out them right now, but a lot of people on Reddit have said, eh, it's, it's not really my thing. I'm not... I'm not that uh, interested in reading something that's kind of absurdist and humorous and whatnot. Right. I, I went and read the one-star reviews for this book, oh, as really? I commonly do after something I love. Go see <laughs> what uh, what people didn't like about it. And uh, the Amazon ones, as usual, were just dumb. But the Goodreads ones were good. People tend to write good thoughts on Goodreads. Um, and uh, a lot of their commentary, the people who gave one-star reviews were just like, I just didn't get it didn't click for me um they they aren't scathing in this i this is terrible this or, is the worst yeah, thing, yeah no they're just like this just didn't click for me and i think um you will know pretty early into this book if it's clicking for you or not uh the british sort of dry humor um uh, which pratchett does and you know the um very very famously uh done by douglas adams and things like this just does not click with some people and you know, that's okay. This is one of my favorite books of all time. But one of the things I like to talk about is that uh, I see art a lot like food. I try to use it as food metaphors because we all eat food and we may like something and dislike something else. But generally when we talk about food, like I hate fish, right? Um, I just... Well, nobody's perfect. 
I just absolutely detest fish. But I can tell that that's just my taste, right? That we have different tastes. And if everybody had the same tastes, the world would be a much drabber place. And we tend to not, when we take media that we like, we tend to get really offended if people don't like the media we like. Whereas if someone prefers chocolate to vanilla ice cream, you're like, oh, that's just how people are. We all like different things. And so but this- our, But our art is sacred yes, to us. Yes, our art is sacred to yeah. us. And so we, we tend to kind of pick a camp and be like, I am camp this. Um, I, you know, I can totally see that if the, if the humor doesn't make you laugh, um, Pratchett is probably going to miss for you. I'm, I'm going to piggyback on that because as I was thinking about this question, um, I think about, uh, you can go on Netflix now and watch old reruns of Monty Python. They used to have Fry and Laurie. Right. Um, and, you know, kind of like the, my anecdote with my wife on the plane, like I'll sit and watch uh, Fry and Laurie and my wife is just stone-faced and I am dying. Mm -hmm. And in that case, it's it's... At that point, I might say, yeah, okay, Ter Terry Pratchett might not be for you. Right. Yeah, find, find something else. I do, I, I, you know, there is the note that Pratchett, unlike, again, Douglas Adams or Monty Python or some of these. Has be a story Because he tell. has a story and characters. Yeah. Uh, Pratchett tends to click with more people, even if you only get the humor some of the time. A lot of people still really like the Vimes books because you've got a really good character who's got an interesting way of seeing the world. Um, and things like that. But yeah, I could I could totally see Pratchett just might not be your thing. A flavor um, that you enjoy. He sells like in in the UK just like enormous numbers. Outsells Wheel of Time handily, right? Like just massive numbers. And then over here, he sells well, but has never achieved the success he has over there. And that might just be familiarity with the type of humor that he's doing. Yeah. Ryan, what do you think of the question? Um I'm the not, answer more like. I'm not really sure. If I could identify a specific person or a grouping or whatever that wouldn't enjoy this, it's going to be on a personal taste. Um, but what I would say is something that we tend to ask about books that we read is it's timeless and like, will this last the pass the test of time? Like, well, I, I've read I've read Brandon's uh, uh, article on that. I know his answer, but yeah, what do you think? Like, and I think that this one, it even though there might be some things that are time like written in their time. For the most part, the concepts are timeless. And so this will be able to be read 50 years down the road, 75 years down the road. And you're just going to attach it to what you're seeing now. I mean, we were talking the, the like... The whole internet thing. The, was it the newspapers or was it was he talking about the internet? And, or will he have been talking about whatever the new thing is? That's more of uh, that's more of what you bring to that book than what like that book is saying to you. And yeah. I think that this will pass the test of time in that yeah, yeah. sense. Yeah, it's uh, the single greatest gift that Tolkien ever gave me was that little uh, blip uh, in that letter about allegory versus applicability. Mm. And this book is likely to be applicable for a long, long time, um, as many other books are not. And so it will it stand the test of time? We have no idea, obviously. But could it? Absolutely, because of that, right? Yeah. So um, anyway, should we wrap it up? What are we at? We are at 55. Call it good. All right. So thank you for listening, everybody. And Brandon, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Uh, this was uh, it, this is an idea that had been germinating in my mind since 2015 when Terry Pratchett passed away. And I saw just a, a blog post from you kind of talking about him. And then that linked to an, another article that you had written. And I thought, well, oh, geez, man, he really likes this Pratchett guy. We should get him to come talk about it. So I'm glad that we finally did. Uh, it's a ton of fun. And yes, I do recommend that if you've made it through this and you have any inkling that you might want to try Terry Pratchett, 
try this one. Uh, Discworld number 25, The Truth. And if you uh, if you are already a big Pratchett fan, reread it uh, because it is wonderful. So before we go, a couple of things. I promised a giveaway, and darn it, you're going to get a giveaway. So what I want you to do, uh, I have got two copies of Edge Dancer, one of Legion Lies of the Beholder. Uh, thank you, by the way, to uh, Reddit user Roger Copernicus for that one. Uh, these are all hardback, all signed by Brandon, uh, and they are available for me to give out. So I want you to go on Twitter or on Facebook. If it's Facebook, it must be a public post or this will not work. I will not see it. And I want you to tweet or post a link to this uh, episode with the hashtag Pratchett's Truth. So that's all. I just figure, uh, I don't know, That's it's kind of a stupid uh, hashtag, but at least nobody else will be using it. So I can keep track of all of you who enter. Uh, if you do that, each one of those, so you can get up to two entries on those, um, uh, you, you'll be entered for a drawing to win those. Um, and I do have one other. It's a signed hardcover of Oathbringer, another Brandon one. It's nice that we live in the same state, so I just have all this crap laying around my house at this point. But um, you just call my books crap. I don't want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. So I do have one of those, uh, and I will give that away to our favorite Reddit comment, as decided solely and subjectively by Ryan and myself. Uh, so I, I'm not going to define it any more than that. It can be humorous. It can it can uh, be cutting. You can tell us where to go, or it can be insightful. But whatever the best uh, Reddit comment is, uh, that that's what we'll go with. So thelegendarium.reddit.com. If you'll go there after this episode is aired, there will be a post uh, episode discussion thread. You can hop in there, make your comments. It doesn't have to be a top level comment. You can be responding to somebody else. It's just whatever we think is the best one. So uh, may the best Redditor win, I guess. Anyway, what am I forgetting? What am I? I feel like you've you've covered it mostly. <sighs> Talk to us on Reddit. Yeah, that's Patreon, right. That's Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Discord, Reddit, all that. So we will see you guys on the interwebs. Thank you so much for listening. Next week is uh, New Spring. I'm finally reading that for the first time, so and, I'm really looking forward to that. And then we're jumping into Night Angel after and that. Night Angel, really, really looking forward to that. Ryan, you've said that that is uh, going to be right up my alley. Yes, I do think so. It's And it's been one of my favorite reads, which is actually, I read it based on a Twitter recommendation from Brandon. Well, there you go. So, so you did touch at least one life, Brandon. Mm. Brent is amazing. You guys can have fun time reading okay. his works. Good, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, before we go, I did want to say one last thing. Um, vis-a-vis reddit uh this was this is just a thank you to our reddit uh followers those who commented on previous episodes we just wrapped up the farseer trilogy and i just wanted to extend a public thank you to everybody who hopped on and commented on that partly because that was the maybe more than any other series that was the one that ryan and i and kyle we had a hard time with it understanding it, it you know the whole flavor thing that you're talking about brandon some flavors to start for you and so we wrapped that up. We put out all three episodes and people made comments, some of which were super harsh and some of which uh, really helped me to see, like, oh, okay, maybe I did miss that in my reading of Farseer. So I hope that you guys will continue to do that for us for future book series as well. Help us learn. Yeah, absolutely. That's, we need the help. Anyway, thanks, guys. We will talk to you next week. Have a good one.